We're going to be looking this morning at the book of Philippians, chapter 1. Philippians, chapter 1, we're going to be looking at the first 11 verses. Um, And so if you'll turn there, uh, we're going to be getting back to Luke's gospel next week, Lord willing. Uh, But today we're going to spend just some time reflecting on a bit of an effort we launched over a year ago. Uh, an effort we're call, we've called Putting Down Roots. Uh, it's hard to believe, but it's now been over a year since we launched that initiative, uh, Putting Down Roots initiative. Uh, on Sunday, April the 7th, 2019, we came together for a worship service where we publicly committed ourselves uh, to this initiative as we uh, made pledges and commitments and turned in commitment cards, uh, seeking to invest in this three-year initiative Uh, to put down roots together as a church. Uh, It was a sweet and pivotal day, moment in the life of our congregation. And uh, it was such a blessing and encouragement. And and maybe we can have some video put up later on our Facebook page uh, that relives that moment uh, with us. We were going to show this morning, but we'll put that up on our Facebook page here uh, in just a little while. Uh, But I want us just to look back at that time together. I want us to look this morning from Philippians 1, It's going to be a little maybe different than a normal sermon. I want us to look at Philippians 1, uh, hear some things from it, and then I just want to kind of speak to you a little bit from my heart this morning, a little bit from this text, and uh, just thinking about what God is doing in our midst and what he's done in the past, where he's brought us from, where he has us today in his providence, and where he's taking us into the future. And so we just want to, to look at that together and spend time reflecting upon that. So let's just go to the Lord in prayer right now and ask for him to guide this time uh, together. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for this morning. We thank you that uh, despite all of the things that uh, are going on in our lives and in this world, uh, Lord, even with the minor interruptions of technology this morning, we we just thank you that we can come together and be uh, reminded in this way this morning of who you are. Uh, Lord, we ask now as we open your word that you would give us understanding of it, that you would help us to just reflect upon what you're calling us to be as a church. And so, Lord, we commit this time to you and ask that your will be done, that you would uh, give us insight, that you would just encourage us today, remind us of why we're doing what we're doing, and just continue to spur us on that we may find ourselves faithful in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said, looking back uh, a little over a year ago, even at our Commitment Sunday, it's just a reminder to us of the significance of what we've been called to do as a church. Uh, it's, it's a reminder to us of the, the importance of this initiative that we've called Putting Down Roots, and we just want to, to think a little bit about that this morning. It's been about a year, so it's about our year anniversary. We're about a year into this three-year initiative Uh, And as a church family, on that Sunday, a little over a year ago, we committed to give $1.3 million over a three-year period above and beyond our regular giving. That was a significant moment in the life of this church. In fact, it was a moment that to, to this day I'm still blown away by, just how we came together. A congregation of our size committed $1.3 million over a three-year period of time above and beyond our regular giving. I just want to say thank you. Uh, Up until this time, I think uh, in this past year, you've already given about $533,000 of that commitment. And again, just want to say thank you for your faithfulness, for your generosity, for your investment 
in this work of ministry that the Lord Jesus has called us to be part of here in and through Redeeming Grace. Uh, it's a joy to see him working. Since then, we've continued to take some pretty significant steps. Uh, we've seen architectural drawings um, put together. Uh, we've seen a site plan uh, put together and formed. We've seen how uh, the Lord has allowed us to submit that site plan to uh, the, the county government. Uh, we've seen our stewardship and building planning team coordinate a plan to see us move closer towards having our own facility. Just this week, or just this week coming up, we're going to see some soil testing that's going to take place. And so there are steps that are continuing to be taken uh, in this effort as we seek to put down roots uh, together. Uh, we're going to continue to take those steps, and we're going to continue to pray that the Lord would guide us in that effort. And, it, and it's all truly exciting as we anticipate all that the Lord has called us to. Uh, it's truly exciting to, to, to anticipate all that will be taking place over the next year or so. And yet we know that while constructing our own facility takes a lot of attention, putting down roots is not ultimately about construction. It's not about efforts to uh, put up a building, uh, that that's not ultimately our goal. Putting down roots is about seeing lives transformed by the power of of the gospel. It's about putting down roots as a church in our community to better position ourselves to exalt the Lord, to equip believers, and to engage the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. And as we think about what's ahead of us, uh, we thought it would be good on this year anniversary, so to speak, for us to be reminded yet again why we're doing what we're doing. So in order to do that, we're going to take a look together this morning at Philippians chapter 1. And I want to read beginning in verse 1 down through verse 11. So Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from this first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. As we think about this passage this morning, we hear Paul writing this letter to the church at Philippi. He's writing uh, this letter, and in, for Paul, this was a special relationship that he enjoyed. Paul's in prison, and he's writing this letter of encouragement to the church that he shared this special relationship with. He had originally gone there on one of his missionary journeys where he met people such as Lydia and the Philippian jailer. And through his initial evangelistic efforts, we see slowly but surely a church is planted and emerges out of this region, out of this city in, in Philippi. And we see this church 
uh, planted and formed. And now he's writing some years later this letter to, for, for, for multiple reasons. First of all, he's writing just to show his deep thankfulness, his gratitude for this church. He's also writing to give them an update as to his status and what's going on in his own life, but, but also he's writing to encourage them, specifically to encourage the church towards unity. And here in these opening verses, Paul expresses his thankfulness for them and he prays for them. He highlights how this relationship gave him joy and compelled him to earnestly seek their well-being in God's grace. So as we look at these first 11 verses, uh, I want us to see several factors that led Paul to this kind of joy, to this kind of thankfulness and gratitude that he had for this church at Philippi. These are truths, I think, as we walk through this text, these are truths that I, I believe ought to characterize any church. No matter the, the church that you're part of, whether it's this church at Redeeming Grace or maybe you're listening in this morning and, and you're a part of another church, but these are truths that ought to, to be reflective of any local congregation. Now, as we look through this, I want us to consider the factors that, that leads Paul to his gratitude and joy, and then we're going to draw out some implications, even for our own context, toward the end. And so let's walk through this passage together this morning. Uh, first of all, we see that Paul is driven to joy and thankfulness because he shared a gospel-shaped partnership with these Christians at Philippi. It's a gospel-shaped partnership. There in the first five verses, you see that he's greeting them. He's recognizing a typical greeting in these letters where they would up front tell you who they were, who's writing to you, and he greets them there in the first few verses. And he, and he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul understands that one of the driving, compelling reasons he is thankful and joyful for this unique relationship with the Philippian church is not because of them or not because of him, but it's verse 5, because of the gospel, because of the partnership, the, the fellowship. It's the same word fellowship there. The fellowship that they enjoyed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, when we think about partnership or fellowship, that's a word that can often mean nothing more than simply a camaraderie of some kind. But not here. There's something deeper in this word as it's used in the Bible, and certainly as Paul intends it for, for his use here. It, it doesn't mean a sharing of something, but a sharing in something. There's a difference there. You're not just sharing something. You're sharing in something. Particularly, it's a sharing in this communion, this fellowship, this partnership that God has established through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul is thankful for the Philippians' share in the gospel and their commitment to the gospel. And they understand that that is a relationship, a communion that God himself has established in Christ. Friends, that is indeed what this fellowship at Redeeming Grace, this communion we enjoy here at Redeeming Grace is built upon. We share in the gospel. That's why some 200 to 250 of us, despite our differences, despite our unique backgrounds, despite the fact that we come from various parts of this country and maybe even the world, that's why we join together here in this church community at this particular location. This truth is foundational, I believe, even when we think about our own vision for putting down roots. We are putting down roots together because first and foremost, God has 
put down roots in us. He has saved us. He has rescued us. He has redeemed us from sin. He has clothed us in his righteousness. He has cleansed us of our sins. And he has placed us in a fellowship. God does not save you just to save you on your own. He doesn't save individuals so that individuals continue to live as individuals. He saves you and he adopts you into his family. And that's exactly what he has done. As he saves us, he puts you within local congregations, local communities of believers where you can continue to live out the calling he has given you. And that is good news, friends. We share in the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the, the, the one thing we all have in common here at Redeeming Grace is the fact that God has saved us as a testimony of his grace, as an act of his grace through the finished work of his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And because we share in this good news, because God has brought us together, what we are desiring to do, what we believe he is leading us to do is to put a proverbial stake in the ground, so to speak, to say, you know what? God's been doing this work for some 10 years now, and it's time for us to put down roots in this community, to, to put that stake in the ground to say, we're here for the long haul. We're, we're here for this time period, yes, but we're here for those who will be part of this community for years and generations to come, so long as the Lord tarries. We are here to be a display of God's grace, to be a gospel outpost, to be partners, to be this fellowship in the gospel, to be this declaration to the community that we are here because, yes, of God's true redeeming grace in our lives. And so we understand that, that, that we couldn't put down roots without that. We're not seeking to just do our own thing. We're not seeking to somehow put down roots in this community to to make a name for ourselves. We're seeking to put down roots because of the partnership and testimony of God's work of grace in our lives. And so, brothers and sisters, let me just say to you, I am personally thankful for each of you. I'm personally grateful to God for his work of grace in you, for his work of grace in all of us, and the fact that he has put us together in a fellowship, in a community of believers where we can share these wonderful joys and privileges together. I just ask you, how often, though, how often do we express that kind of gratitude in our praying? How often is it that we're prayerfully, in our, in our times with the Lord, just expressing gratitude for the very people that God has put us with? When's the last time you thanked God for individuals, not just redeeming grace writ large. But when's the last time you spent time thanking God for individual people that he has put in your life through this local church as a means of grace in your own life to encourage you, to exhort you, to spur you on to love and good works? And this is one of the things that we learned just even in looking at Paul's writing here. It's, he's quick to express gratitude. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. And notice, this is not just infrequent prayer or infrequent thanksgivings. He says, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. It's one of the things that we ought to be thankful for when we think about putting down roots, when we think about this partnership that we enjoy, one of the things that over, ought to overflow from us is a sense of gratitude for the generosity that God has shown us in 
the gospel. Friends, I think one of the things that, that ought to mark our prayers is that sense of gratitude. So you see that this gospel-shaped partnership, it is the gospel that, that brought Paul and the Philippians together. It's the gospel that has brought us together. It's the very foundation from which we are called to live and be as a church. But not only do we see this gospel-shaped partnership, number two, we see a gospel-centered confidence. A gospel-centered confidence. Notice what Paul says next. He moves on from the partnership, thanking God for the partnership, and he says in verse 6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He will bring it to completion. He says, it is right. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. As Paul looks back to the day when the gospel first took root in Philippi, he now speaks to what will result in the future. Notice what he says. He begins in verse 6. He says, and I am sure of this. Notice the confidence that, that Paul is stating here. He was confident in what God had done, what God was doing, and what God would do. He understood that what God begins, he finishes. And Paul not only rejoiced in their fellowship, but he rejoiced in the confidence that they shared together. It's one of the privileges that we have as a church, as, as a community of believers, is that we share, yes, in this fellowship, but we share in the very same confidence together. Philippians 1.6 is probably one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. It just speaks of, of this, this great work of redemption that God will begin and God will complete. He will finish. It's one of the most affirming truths in the Bible to know that God has us in his grip from beginning to end and nothing will separate us from that and nothing will hinder his work in and through us ultimately to make us more and more like Jesus. You know, I think that that is something that we often lack in our own lives, though, isn't it? Sense of confidence. When we think about our lives, we reflect upon just the, the foolishness of our sin, the, the reality of our hearts at times, the, the desires that we have, the, the behaviors, the actions. When we think about us, it's very easy to, to begin to waver on that confidence, you know, we've been doing some updates around the house, and I'm thankful we've had the time to do them over those last four or five weeks. Um, I'm also going to be thankful when there's no more time to do them and we can get back to a little bit different kinds of activity. But I am thankful that we've had time to do some of these updates around the house. But sometimes when you think about projects around the home in particular, how often is it that we will get started on them and then those projects will just kind of linger for a bit. Sometimes those projects go unfinished. They linger and linger, not just week to the next week, but month to the next month and year to the next year. Some of you are even thinking about those projects right now. Maybe some of you are even looking at those projects. I don't want there to be any judgment or any, any unnecessary marital conflict right now. But just think about that. We start things all the time and we don't finish them. Friends, be encouraged. That will never be the case with the Lord. What God starts, he will finish. 
We are all being remade. We are all being transformed. And listen, the Lord is continuing his work in us and through us, and he will bring us to completion. He doesn't just start a work and lay you off to the side and get back around to you when he, when he thinks about it. When he begins that work in you by work of his Holy Spirit through the gospel, he continues that work. You may not see the evidence of that work every single day, but trust me, what God starts, he will finish. Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God doesn't just start a work and then leave it up to you to finish it. He finishes his work. Friends, we ought to be encouraged by that. One of the most encouraging truths in the Bible is to know this truth. To know this truth. To have this kind of gospel confidence. And friends, that is what we share in this fellowship. Not only are we called to enjoy that in our own lives, we are called to enjoy that as a community and to encourage each other in these realities. Notice verse 7. He says, it's right for him to feel this way because he fully trusted God's work of grace. He said, it's right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. Why? For you are all partakers with me of grace. This same grace that he spoke of in verse 6, the same gospel in verse 5, the same the confidence that he has in verse 6. He says, listen, this is not something I'm experiencing. This is something we all experience. We are partakers of this together. So if you're in Christ, this is a reality that you experience and you enjoy. Partakers of grace. This is absolutely fundamental to our existence as Christians. We exist because God in his sovereign grace saves us and he has promised to complete us. And we as a community of Christians are partakers in this same grace. Friends, there is nothing in your intellect, nothing in your behavior, nothing in your heart that will get you to heaven. If you get to heaven, it will be because God saved you from beginning to end. And he will do it. He will do it. He has promised to rescue, and, and when he rescues, and when he redeems, when he extends that saving grace, he will see it through. And again, this ought to be one of the most joy-filled truths you celebrate in all the Bible. Salvation is not your doing. Salvation is not your work. It is God's work. That old saying that Jesus did all he could do, the rest is up to you. Friends, don't ever use that. That's a terrible line. God saved you. Jesus did everything he was called to do, and that's it. That is sufficient. We're simply called to yield in faith to that. There's nothing that's up to us. The only, thing that's up, the only thing that we contribute to our salvation is our own sin. And God has rescued us because of his own work of grace to his praise and glory. And I just wonder if you would sit back and just meditate on that amazing reality for a moment. If God has saved you, the truth of the Bible says that he will complete you. He will complete you. He has justified you. Romans 8 tells us he will glorify you. He will see it through to the end. D. 
Indeed, the wonder of grace compels us. Compels us to worship the Lord. It compels us towards obedience and faithfulness. We, you know, when we think about this wonderful reality, sometimes we're sometimes people are tempted to think, well, if God saved us, then does that that doesn't mean we don't that doesn't mean we have responsibilities. We're not called to, to be obedient. We're not, we can just do what we want to do. Well, that's not the truth of the scripture. When you understand this, this understanding of grace, it compels you towards obedience. It, it drives you towards this act of worship and faithfulness. Friends, nothing will rob a believer of more joy than thinking that his or her salvation is somehow dependent upon them. The gospel is not Jesus plus something. The gospel is simply Jesus, his life and his work for you. Friends, let's yield to that. And if you're watching this or you're listening to this and you're not a Christian, you've, you've not understood this kind of confidence. Maybe you don't have this confidence. Maybe you lack that kind of assurance this morning. And I would just tell you to, to quit trusting in yourself. Quit trying to trust in your own good works and your own good deeds to somehow earn your way to heaven. You will never earn your way to heaven. Jesus has earned it for you. If you would simply look at him, you, you, can't, you can't do any better. You, you, you can't somehow improve on the finished work of Jesus. Yield to him in faith. Trust that what he did in his perfect life of obedience and his death on a cross and his triumphant resurrection, that that work is sufficient to rescue you from your sin. And if you would put your hope and confidence in that, you, friend, can have this same confidence that Paul speaks of here in verse 6. Let me just say this graciously and kindly. Friends, this gospel reality, honestly, frankly, is, it's not always preached. There are many churches in our community and communities all across the United States, cities all across the United States and world that don't preach this kind of gospel. Now, we're thankful that there are several, many gospel-believing, grace-embracing churches here in Southern Maryland. We pray for them. We are encouraged by their ministry and by their work. But listen, friends, I would just say that those churches are in the minority. Our community needs more gospel-believing, gospel-preaching, grace-declaring churches so that God is honored. We need to see more and more congregations planted and established that believe and preach and embrace that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Friends, the reason we think, one of the reasons we think it's critical to be putting down roots here in this community is because this community needs more churches that are centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. This community needs to understand the beauty and glory of God's redeeming grace in Christ. This community needs more and more congregations whose confidence is not in themselves, whose confidence is not in their creativity or their, 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 their uh, cuteness, but in the reality of grace. Brothers and sisters, we believe this news of grace is the best news in the world. It's the best news in the world. It's the only hope for sinners. 
Friends, we've been given that news. We've been given this partnership, this fellowship in the gospel. We are all partakers of grace together. And we are saying because of that, let us now plant in, in a permanent way, in, a, in kind of a visible way to the community to say, listen, we're here for the long haul. This church is going to be a, 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 a staple of this community until Jesus comes again. And we need to understand that because of this work of grace, because of this confidence that we have in the gospel, we are here to plant ourselves, to place ourselves in this community, to put down roots in this community so that we can continue to declare that good news until Christ comes again. So you see this gospel-centered confidence. But then number three, you see a gospel-driven affection. A gospel-driven affection. He says, for God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Notice how Paul goes on to speak so affectionately of the Philippians. It's a church that that doesn't lack affection. It's a church that he doesn't lack affection for. He says, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. As I know the one thing that's true in my own heart, and I pray that it's true in your heart, if that anything that has increased in this time of being separated from one another is that your yearning for each other would be increased, that your yearning with affection would continue to multiply. Brothers and sisters, I would just tell you that a church that lacks genuine affection is a church that has lost sight of the gospel in some way. This work of grace that saves us, this same work of grace that that makes us partakers together of the gospel, is also a grace that establishes an affection in our hearts for each other. You know that Jesus says back in, in John's gospel, he says, by this people, he says, by, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is one of the great marks of our testimony to this community together is our affection, our love for one another. And friends, this is not some kind of sentimental love. It's a deeper and richer love. A believer must be filled with the fullness of Christ's love. And this is just a reminder as we think about the relationship. When we think about the church, you know, you've heard me say this in many different ways before, and I'm not the first that's certainly come up with this idea. Uh, but the church is not something you go to. The church is something you're part of. And when you're part of this community, even when, when circumstances keep us separated, the church still exists in some way, though we're not gathered, though we're not able to come together and, and be together in some way, the church is still very much in existence in, in some way, but yet we're called to, despite circumstances, love each other. Church is not something you attend. It's something you belong to. It's not an event you go watch. It's 
kind of what we're doing right now, isn't it? You're just watching. No, no you're, you're part of a community. And because you're part of this community, there ought to be an, a present, active affection for other believers. Paul understood that. Notice several things that Paul says about the love that he had and experienced with these believers at Philippi. First of all, it's a growing love. He said it, Verse 9, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Your love may abound more and more. That This love is an increasing love. Notice the, the word love here doesn't have an object. And so what, what kind of love? Love for what? Well, we, we know that looking at other places in the Bible and even, even glimpses here in this own context that we can certainly uh, narrow down this love, that a love for God and a love for one another. And this love for God and love for others ought to be abounding more and more. In fact, the more you love God, the more you're going to be able to love others. And it's just a great question to stop and ask ourselves. We, we did it earlier with Thanksgiving. Am I thankful for the believers that God has put me with? Another good question is, is your love for the Lord and your love for these believers abounding more and more? Is it increasing? Is this love abounding? You know, sometimes people, they get this little attitude about the church sometimes, and they think, well, you know, I, I don't like this church, or you know, I'm not, I'm not having a good experience here or there. Listen, friends, one of the things that we're called to is we're called to be thankful for one another. We're called to love one another. And the very first place when you find yourself maybe discontent in, in the church the very first place you should not be looking is what it is that people are not doing to fulfill your expectations. The very first place you should be looking is right here within your own heart. Am I thankful to God that I get to be partakers of grace with these fellow brothers and sisters? Am I increasing in love for these brothers and sisters just as I have been called to? That's where we go. It's a growing love. But not only is it a growing love, it's a discerning love. Paul is not praying for some shapeless, uninformed overflow of sentimental love. Because of verse 9. He says, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Love is not blind. It's informed. According to knowledge, the more we know about God, the more we have reason to love God. It's, it's a personal knowledge. It's through this knowledge and through this discernment that we have that God gives us through his word by the, by the work of the Holy Spirit. Then the more we understand him, the more we see him, the more we understand the truth of who he is, the more we're going to be compelled to love him and then to see the, how he has given us one another. His fellow image bearers, redeemed by his grace, that we're partakers of grace together, that we are partners in this gospel, then our love for one another will continue to increase as well. Discernment, insight. It's an insight that informs the way that we live out our lives. But he goes further to unpack this a little bit. He says, notice that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Friends, we're called to abound in a love that helps us discern the truth of who God is and what our best course of action towards others ought to be. Your relationship to God 
informs your relationship to each other. And listen, your relationship to other Christians is a big deal. It's a big deal. Christianity is not an individual-based religion. It's one of the reasons I'm not a fan of live streaming. I don't like it. We're doing it out of necessity. We're doing it out of, of uh, being forced. I'm thankful for our, our, our guys that are here making it happen. But we're doing this out of temporary necessity. God's design is that we ought to be together and seek to live out the faith together. So, if you're a member of Redeeming Grace, unless you're physically impaired, do not get used to YouTube. Do not get used to this setup. Lord willing, in the future we'll be back together so that we can continue to grow and abound in love for each other together. It's a discerning love so that we can grow together. And it leads me right into the third point, really, and they go to really one to the other. So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. This prayer that Paul prayed is oriented towards seeing the Philippian believers grow in faithfulness to Christ, that they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness so that their lives would reflect holiness. This happens because of Christ's work on the cross in his resurrection. He paid our debt to redeem us for heaven, but then he works in us to complete us and to fit us for heaven. Friends, one of the best ways you can love your fellow brother and sister is to pray for his or her holiness. Because we see that this love is a fruitful love. It is a love, yes, informed by knowledge and all discernment. Why? To what end? So that you will approve what is excellent, so that you will know what is good. And so be pure and blameless for the day. God is working in our lives to fit us for that day of Christ so that we will be filled with the fruit of righteousness when he returns. One of the blessings that he gives us to do that work in us is other Christians to spur us on, to encourage us, to point us toward that day. And then last, it's a God-glorifying love. You see that there at the end. This is all to the praise and glory of God. This is the climax. This is the great purpose for which we are partakers of grace together. The purpose for which our love must increase. It is not ultimately for our sake. It is ultimately for God's glory. Friends, this is indeed what we pray for and what we desire and long for here at Redeeming Grace. We want to be a community of Christians, a community of men, women, and children who understand the truths of what Paul is speaking to here, that we would understand that what brings us together is not ourselves, but what brings us together is the fact that we are partakers of grace. It is God's grace in us at work that brings us together, that our confidence is ultimately not in ourselves or that our confidence is in doing things for God, that our confidence ultimately of salvation rests in God and his work through Jesus Christ for our sake. It's our prayer that we would be a community that demonstrates an abounding affection for God and for one another that results in the fruits of righteousness to the glory and praise of God. Now, 
How do these things apply to putting down roots? Well, as we think about just this glimpse into Paul's relationship with the church at Philippi, I think there are several implications for us here and for our future. When we think about having a partnership together, a fellowship in the gospel, when we think about being partakers of grace together, and we think about what God has called us to be part of, this community where our love for God and love for one another is growing and abounding more and more so that we would be filled with the fruit of righteousness to the glory and praise of God. Well, friends, that's exactly why we want to put down roots in this community because we believe that this is what every person needs. Every person needs to be part of a fellowship like that. We want to be a fellowship that reflects that. We want to look like this. We want to act like this. We want to live like this. And we want to put down roots. We want to drive the stake in the ground, so to speak, so that we can be a a people that reflect the beauty of this work of grace. Friends, when we think about this partnership, this fellowship, verse 5, this is a partnership that has a purpose. We want to put down roots because this gospel-shaped partnership is also a stewardship. It's a stewardship. We are called to live like this for God's glory, for the good of each other. And as we're doing that, we're, we're being called to make disciples. We're being called to invest in present and future generations. And friends, we know that as we are able to get into our own space, we're going to be able to see this happen. Yes, it's happening now, but we're going to be in a better position to see it happen even all the more in the future as we create space to foster relationships, to create space to, to, to foster this kind of growth in the gospel. We want to put down roots in order to, to see this stewardship continue to develop and grow. This passage talks about abounding with affection. Affection for God, affection for one another. And friends, one of the great demonstrations of that kind of affection is when we gather for corporate worship. When we come together, to be together, to with one voice together declare the glory and praise of God. We're singing to God. We're, in essence, singing to each other, encouraging each other in these truths. Corporate worship is one of the means of grace that God gives us to grow in this affection for him and for each other to, to, dis, to, to express that love and affection. So as we seek to put down roots, we want to create a space that's going to accommodate more and more people for corporate worship. As we want to put down roots in this community to see these roots spread and be fruitful. We want to train up believers. We want to mobilize believers. We want to be a mission outpost to see people go from our midst to invest in the community and in the world. Friends, this is why we are taking important steps, giving sacrificially to putting down roots, because as we seek to put down roots, we know that it will help us increase our impact for the gospel. There's the fact, a practical fact, that there are certain limitations we have in the setup that we have, we're thankful for what we've been given here at uh, KCA to be able to, to, to minister out of this building, at least on Sunday mornings and sometimes Sunday evenings. There are just certain limitations and restrictions to that, even on those days. 
We're unable to do certain things because in, in certain ways to maximize our effectiveness in ministry because of his limitation. So God has opened this door up for us to, to, to plant ourselves in this community, yes, to build a building so that we can maximize and better leverage ourselves for gospel purposes. Sure, putting down roots is largely centered around what it seems like a building. But we know, friends, that a building is only a tool that will help us better leverage this ministry so that more and more lives can be impacted by God's redeeming grace. We want to be a community that looks like Philippians 1, 1 through 11. And we want to be able to be in a position where that is, is increased and enhanced and fostered all the more. And that's exactly what we're trying to do. Friends, I truly believe that God is doing something special in and through Redeeming Grace Baptist Church. It's a gift to me to be part of what he's doing here. And yes, I realize these are challenging days that we're in, especially this last five to six weeks that we've been part of. Friends, the Lord doesn't call us to serve him only when it's easy. We've got much work to do. We've got much work to do. So let's keep serving. Let's keep hoping with confidence in the gospel. Let's keep rejoicing in the truth of what God has done in Jesus Christ. And let's keep investing and giving generously and sacrificially so that we can put down roots in this community, so that we can be a display of God's glory to this community, so that we can impact many, many lives for the good of their soul and for the glory and praise of God. Friends, it's truly a joy to be in this with you. It's a joy to be partners in the gospel and to be partakers of grace together. Let's continue on. For his name, we pray. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for reminding us of these truths. We thank you, God, that you have made us partakers of grace together in Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us everything that we need for life and godliness. And yet, Lord, you are opening this door of opportunity for us to put down roots in this community, for us to continue to give and serve in ways that will maximize our ministry efforts so that more and more people can realize and experience the wonderful things that we just took a glimpse at this morning from your word. Father, even in the meantime, would you help us to live this out? Would you help us to care well for one another during these challenging days? That we would come together in unique ways during this time to serve one another, to be mindful of each other, that our love for each other will continue to abound even though we're separated. Help us to find unique ways where we can make that happen. Father, would our longing to be together again increase all the more and more each day? Father, I'm thankful for Redeeming Grace Baptist Church, I'm thankful for what you have done here. And I am confident that you will continue this great work, not because we are capable, but because you are faithful. Father, I can't think of any greater thing to be part of. I can't think of any greater opportunity to invest in and to give ourselves to fully than the work of your gospel in this community for your glory. God, would you help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.